0: So, as I said, I want to kind of take a little bit of a spin on normal Thanksgiving. I usually do something Thanksgiving-related on this Sunday prior to Thanksgiving Day. As we gather with family and friends, we always think about things we're thankful for. It's good to be thankful for things. It's good to give God thanks. But I want to uh, add something to that in which I believe Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you see, okay, it's up there. If you see Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 through 25 through 34, that's part of the Sermon on the Mount. You've probably heard that used before, that term used before. It's Jesus' first kind of discourse, big body of teaching about what it means to be a part of his kingdom. And I would suggest to you that if we live the way that Jesus described in Matthew 5 through 7, we will live this abundant life. Now, we think about abundance around Thanksgiving. Uh, We have uh, decorations like this up here where it has fruits and vegetables in it, and it's just overflowing. It's popping out of there because of abundance. You see those images all the time at Thanksgiving. And in our Country, you can actually experience that. We have lots of abundance. We had the privilege of going to Sight and Sound uh, yesterday. We went to see the the show David. Highly recommended. It. It's a great show. Prior to the show, we went to Hershey Farms, which is the restaurant, family style restaurant that's right there at right at the theater. And if you want to talk about abundance, they have an abundance of food. They just keep bringing it out to you when one tray is empty, another one is filled, and, and there's just abundance there. But is that what we ought to be thinking about with regard to this abundant life? Now, we are, just had a conversation with somebody this morning, and you've probably had these conversations too, about the price of oil. When we think about abundance and we think about the gifts that God gives in life and all that kind of stuff, we're looking at our oil bills. If you've got to drive to work every day, and depending how far you go, you're looking at that bill, the, the price of gas. If you've been doing some grocery shopping, you're looking at that bill. And it all seems like it's going up, up, and up. You're hearing things about inflation, cost of living, all kinds of stuff that maybe you're not thinking this year is going to be as abundant as last year. And maybe you're looking at the coming year with some anxiety, some worry, some anxiousness. And so Jesus has some things to say about that. And before we hear what Jesus has to say in the Sermon on the Mount, the next passage there is actually a a letter to a church in a town in a city called Corinth. But in that letter, Paul is using a group of Christians— in a region called Macedonia, as an example, I think, of what it means to live an abundant life. An example, I think, of what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. So before we move there, I just want to have us thoroughly think about our current context. Life in 2022 and as we approach 2023. And I want to think about that in light of what I've just said, the abundant life. Now I just took some headlines from uh, articles, just Google search, hit that news thing. And what all, whatever headlines came up in that Google search, I grabbed a couple of them. These are from like five days between now and five days ago. That's what these headlines are. So Americans, one of them are feeling worse about us economy. Maybe you felt that way. Your feelings about the future are not as optimistic as they were the previous year or previous years. If you made the mistake of watching your portfolio, you really feel that way. And you've had to go through bouts of depression as you see the stock market go up and down and up and down. And you thought about retirement and then you woke up the next day and you saw your stock portfolio. And you just said, no, I'm going to work for another 10 years And it can be discouraging, even depressing at times. And you're not alone. Lots of Americans are feeling that way because we're hearing about the cost of living. We're hearing about inflation. We're hearing about lots of stuff. And we're not only hearing about it, you're probably experiencing that. I'm sure you've had conversations about all the things I've just mentioned, Uh, oil and gas and food and all that kind of stuff. Another headline, stocks fall as fears of more big Fed rate hikes resurface. You and I had gotten used to something that used to be called interest rates, but it's not that much when it's like 0% interest. Or maybe you've had a loan that was like 0.25% interest. And now all of a sudden, that's going up. We keep seeing interest rates rise and had a conversation in this past week of, uh, people who were looking to maybe move and buy a house, and now they're not because uh, the housing market is still kind of crazy, but also they were looking at interest rates and what they would cost them to get an interest rates an interest rate, so then now they're like, we got to make some new decisions for our family. They wanted to move and now they can, and so life really changes. things got to be different. Maybe you're in that case, you know somebody in that case, but it's happening all across. The United States. And we don't know when those interest rates are going to fall or if they're going to keep going. Most likely they're going to keep rising a little bit. Another headline, inflation leads more Americans to live paycheck to paycheck. A survey that they took. I can't remember which news outlet this was from or who took the survey, but they surveyed Americans saying we have very little savings, very little cushion. So my paycheck goes to bills and food and whatever else is left. And sometimes I even have to decide, am I going to pay this bill or this bill? Am I going to go to the grocery store this week or wait because I need gas in my car and I'll go next week? And so more people are starting to have to deal with the reality uh, that a paycheck isn't going as far as it used to. The cost of living has increased. We're not getting a check in the mail every other month from the government now it's starting to become a little bit more real. We're starting to feel those reverberations of what happened in the previous two years with uh, the pandemic. And now inflation is leading to more people having to make tougher decisions about their finances, about not just, am I going to buy that luxury item, but am I going to pay this bill for heat or am I going to go to the grocery store? Am I going to do this, what I got to pay for my kids? And I got rent coming up and Uh, I got to drive back and forth to Reading every day, and there's a lot tougher decisions at times, and it's really starting to hit home when it's hitting our food and fuel prices. This was a headline from somebody they interviewed that said, it's like living in an igloo, their house. They have to, they can't afford to continue to heat their home because of the kind of heating that they have, and so they turn the heat down. And, you know, you're basically trying to heat the place so the pipes don't freeze and you're having to make tougher decisions. Now, again, this was something that maybe we hadn't thought about the previous two years, but when it starts to hit these real items, real life survival type stuff, we start rethinking some things. I remember this past summer we were on vacation in New Jersey. We go to Long Beach Island in New Jersey. I went to the market that's there and uh, on the island and I went to buy some butter, four sticks of butter. Cost me $7. Four sticks of butter. I'm like, you've got to be out of your mind. I was like, I'm gonna, and I'm like, no, Jesus help me. It's just butter. I, I'm gonna pay for it. But and that's not good. If you are Pennsylvania Dutch, butter is something you survive off of. You can't survive if you don't have butter in just about everything. So now we're going to the grocery store and we got to figure this stuff out. And I'm putting myself, I, I do read world headlines. I am Global Ministries Director, so I feel like i got to know what's going on in the world. So I do look at stuff going on in the world. And in, if you live in Ukraine... Right now, in a war-torn area, half of the country doesn't have power. And Ukraine, this time of year, is as cold as as this or colder. And now you're living in a country where half of you don't have power to heat your home. So now you're like, well, Dad, I'm really glad I came to church today. You were singing those wonderful songs, and now you've done a great job at depressing me. Thank you. I really feel thankful now. Well, I'm saying all of that because Jesus still says we can live the abundant life in the midst of that. There are Christians who live in Ukraine. Some of you supported them when we uh, gave towards that Ukraine crisis fund that happened immediately following the onset of war and provided for people. In the midst of being in a war-torn region, Jesus says you can still live the abundant life because when we think about abundance, Jesus isn't talking about the same things we often think about. And we don't know what the future holds. I don't know what 2023 is going to look like. Cost of living was eight-some percent this year. Who knows what it's going to be next year? Who knows how, how long inflation is going to be around? All these questions we don't know about cause us to think sometimes and rethink This idea of abundance, generosity, thankfulness. And so it's in light of all that that I want to read for you what Jesus says in Matthew and share with you an example that actually happened with Christians in Macedonia and want to suggest to you that that's how we're to live also. And so Thanksgiving is not simply being thankful for what we have, but actually, Jesus is going to point out being thankful for what we can do for others as well. So in Matthew, Jesus is, as I said, given this discourse, his first one. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. He's in, in chapter 6. He's talking about devotion to God. So chapter 6 begins with giving to the needy followed by prayer, and then followed by fasting. And if you were a devout Jew, you showed devotion to God in those three ways. Primarily, that was the way in which you showed devotion to God. But Jesus says, because people were making it all about the show, see how much money I gave, see how much I pray, see how thin and sickly I look because I'm fasting. Jesus says it's not about what's going on the outside, It's about what God's doing in your heart, in your life, inside here. And so Jesus says, don't be like, and he calls them hypocrites. But rather than being like them, and then he points out how you're supposed to give to the needy and pray and fast. Because he says your reward is in heaven. And he continues in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19 to talk about those treasures that are in heaven. These acts of service. This devotion to God is actually storing up for you treasure in heaven. The abundance that we want is not all the stuff that we have, but it's actually related to our devotion to God. And Jesus says, it says, and if you're looking at the screen, it says, therefore. So Jesus is saying, therefore, after he's just said everything that I just shared with you, because all of this is true, He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Now, that's a pretty tall order, Jesus, not to worry about our lives. And Jesus takes something that's very natural to survival for every single human being. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? He's... Drawing off of what he's just said about our devotion to God and where those rewards are stored. The stuff that we're doing is more than just this life. The abundant life that we're living really has a lot, of, a lot to do with our connection to God and life in Jesus' kingdom. He is, when he's saying, therefore, he's talking about Matthew chapter 5 where we see the Beatitudes and uh, being salt and light and the way we're supposed to live in this kingdom. Life is more than just the stuff. It's even more than just our own survival. So Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And he says, Can any one of you, by worrying... About your life, where your food, drink, clothes, shelter will come from. Add a single hour to your life. Jesus is asking a rhetorical question there. We can all probably answer that in our head. We know that answer. He says, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? It's an important part. It takes faith to actually live this way, to believe these things. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? <coughs> or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Basic necessities of life. For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So if we're not supposed to worry about that stuff, Jesus, what are we supposed to do? How do we not worry about all those things, Jesus? Verse 33 is his answer. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is talking to a group of people there that life was, in a lot of ways, about survival. It was not as easy to simply survive as it is now. None of us, when we go home tonight, are probably going to be hungry. And certainly we're not going to worry about where our food's going to come next month because we go to the grocery store. And it's all there. I mean, Jesus is talking to a group of people where you have a bad harvest and there's lots of starvation. There's still people that live that way. If you live in Ethiopia right now, and there is a war-torn country as well, there's been a great famine. Lots of food that is not being distributed, lots of help that was sent there that is not being given, and people are starving. And you're wondering to yourself... God's telling me that I'm not to worry about where my food's going to come from. In the midst of all that we experience in this life, Jesus is still telling us we can live the abundant life. And he says, how does this happen? How is this possible? And Jesus tells us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So I don't know how you've been feeling the last number of months, how you're feeling about 2023. But sometimes when we get into these times of life where we got to start maybe tightening things up a little bit, and it's going beyond just not, you know, buying that boat that you wanted to buy, you're actually having to decide on some things that, are we going to do this or are we going to do this? Are we going to pay for those braces this year or are we going to let that go this year? And some of us who have to live paycheck to paycheck say, am I going to pay this bill today or pay that bill today? Am I going to get gas in my car today or am I going to go to the grocery store? In the midst of all that, Jesus, I think, in this Sermon on the Mount, what it looks like to live in his kingdom is telling us not to worry, not to be anxious over tomorrow. If God who clothes this world with such beauty does that in just an instant, it's gone. It wasn't that long ago that when you looked at the mountains, they were beautiful. Lots of color. People will travel from far distances just to go to a mountain and look at the trees and how beautiful they are. And it doesn't take long, and they're all gone. Some of you who like snow. Some of you don't. You don't think it's very beautiful. But if, if you like snow... I know Vince does. I don't see Vince, but I know he loves snow. He prays for snow in July. When it snows, and look from my house, that picture window, looking out, it is beautiful. It is this blanket of white before the plows go, before all the kids are doing donuts in the in the parking lot, which they do. It's just, just this beautiful white. And before you know it, depending on what weather is coming, it's gone, just like that. We just had a little bit of snow, and... A little bit later, it rained, and it, it disappeared. It's gone that fast. If God does that for his creation, and in a moment it's gone, Jesus says, how much more valuable are you than all of that? Don't you think God is going to take care of you? But Jesus doesn't just say, not only is God going to take care of you, but when he says but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness if we're not to be anxious about tomorrow how is that possible when we're constantly thinking about tomorrow and the anxiety that it brings inside of us the language Jesus is using here in Matthew chapter 6 when he uses those words for the pagans run after all the thing after all these things and your heavenly father knows you need them so seek first his kingdom And his righteousness, and all these things will be added as well. The language that Jesus is using there actually encompasses more than just faith that God will provide it. Jesus is actually talking about providing for others. When we're seeking his kingdom and his righteousness, remember we just talked about there's a reason Jesus is talking about giving to the needy as an act of devotion. Jesus incorporates this idea of caring for others into how we prevent being anxious about tomorrow. I preached a sermon series, I don't remember when, called Living Open-Handed. And I was using the Old Testament and New Testament to define generosity. And living open-handed means not when you have an abundance of stuff. Living open-handed means it's a lifestyle. It's the way you live. So even when you have little, you still live open-handed. Jesus is emphasizing that part of not being anxious about tomorrow, part of living this abundant life, part of being thankful, is not only being around the table and saying, thank you, God, for this and this and this, but it's actually providing something for someone else's table. Thankfulness, as Jesus is talking about it in his kingdom, goes beyond just us being thankful and us providing for others. Now, that actually happened in uh, this letter to the Corinthians, where Paul gives this actual example of what I think, how Jesus, if we were to practically do this, if we were to take what, what I just read for you and put this into practice and live it out, how would we actually do that? Well, I think we have an example of that in 2 Corinthians. Paul is writing to a church in Corinth. The church was in a city. and The area was much more uh, affluent than the area of Macedonia. Uh, there was a number of persecutions taking place in the area of Macedonia, a different place in Corinth. You can read about in Acts chapter 17, uh, the Christians there were experiencing some persecution. Not so much, hey, you're a follower of Christ, I'm going to throw you in jail. More like their community was kind of pushing them to the outside. They're outsiders now. So you're not going to get that spot at the marketplace to sell your produce. And it was getting actually harder to live. In this community, they found themselves because they're Christians. And so, in this area of Macedonia, it's becoming very difficult to survive, to live. And so, Paul uses those churches in that area as an example for this church in Corinth. Chapter uh, 8 of the, this letter, the second to this church in Corinth, says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So here's the example, I think, of Matthew chapter 6, lived out in real life as followers of Jesus. Paul says about these Christians in Macedonia, remember this is being written to a church where there is abundance and some affluence. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up enrich generosity. So there's a few words that don't belong together in that, that verse. Severe trial and overflowing joy. That doesn't belong together. I don't know why Paul said that. When you think severe trial is your natural response, overflowing joy, no. And yet these Christians experienced a severe trial With overflowing joy. Two other words that don't belong together. Extreme poverty and rich generosity. You wouldn't put those two words together. You don't think about rich generosity and extreme poverty. The person who was doing footnotes in my study Bible, the translator said you could also translate verse 2 in this way. The Macedonians' exuberant joy and rock-bottom poverty combine to overflow in lavish generosity. You don't think about rock-bottom poverty in lavish generosity. Those two words don't go together. And yet Paul is using this example, this is what I think it looks like to actually live out Jesus saying, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't be anxious for tomorrow. Don't worry about the food and the, and the drink and, and the clothes and how you're going to live. Doesn't God uh, show his beauty through the birds and they're going all over the place and God provides for them? Doesn't he do that? And your clothes doesn't look at the beauty of the field and it's here one day gone tomorrow. Doesn't God do that for them? How much more valuable are you than they? And these Christians in Master were like, yeah, that's true. And so in our severe trial, we're going to overflow with joy. In our extreme poverty, we're going to have rich generosity. For I testify that they gave, this is Paul saying, he experienced this, they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. See, everywhere Paul went, as a part of his missionary journey, he was collecting funds to take back to Jerusalem. There was a lot of poverty back in Jerusalem. There was a lot of struggle back in Jerusalem with people who were Jews that became Christians. Many of them, their families would kind of disown them and they're destitute. I used that example in Nepal. When you leave a Hindu family and you become a Christian, your family can disown you and not provide for you. The next day you are looking for where your next meal is going to come from. Where is it going to come from? Well, Paul was going to all these churches, collecting an offering to take with him back to Jerusalem. As they are praying, God, provide for us. God, help us to have faith that you will provide for us. Imagine what it would be like when Paul shows up with this huge sum of money to say, hey, we're going to be able to feed you and your family. So Paul goes to this place where they don't have much rock-bottom poverty, and very severe trials, and he says they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. I think that's basically saying, I can see Paul going there. Paul seeing there's a lot of problems at this church and these churches in Macedonia, and they don't have much So maybe Paul would be like, look, if you can't give to this offering that we're going to take with us back to Jerusalem, that's okay. Don't worry about it. They're in rock-bottom poverty. If I went to Nepal, I wouldn't ask them to give lots and lots of money for all of us. I could see Paul doing that same thing. And yet, they pleaded with him that they would be able to give. We want to help. We'll probably never meet those people, but we want to help them. Part of our generosity, part of living this abundant life, part of being thankful is not just about us. It's actually about other people. And so they gave beyond their ability, more than that they could actually give. And actually they exceeded Paul's expectations of what they could give. And all these things, Jesus said, will be added unto you. Because the treasure that you're storing up is not how big your bank account is. It's our devotion to God and our acts of service to others. That's what Jesus is telling us. This thankfulness is more than just our lives. It's actually for other people. And the Macedonian Christians actually did it. They lived out Matthew chapter 6, the verses that I read for you. They exceeded our expectations, Paul said. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. And it wasn't just financially that they gave. Hey, here's this offering we want to give to those Christians. When you traveled in Paul's day, you got put up in somebody's house. You went to somebody's home, and they provided for you. And oftentimes, because hospitality was a big part of this, they kind of impoverished themselves to feed you. We were saving this to feed our family next week, but Paul just showed up. He's got to eat. In the countries that I go to, that's what happens. I sit down and I eat way more than the family feeds themselves. And as much as I say, look, I don't need a lot, I could stand to use some weight, lose some weight. It's not that big of a deal. It doesn't matter. As much as I protest, don't feed us like you're feeding us. They just do it. This is their way of being thankful to God. Their thankfulness to God actually translates in giving. Generosity. In their own poverty, they give in rich generosity. And my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. That's what that verse is talking about. This is what happened in Macedonia. This is why Paul is using them as an example. Not only did they give beyond our expectations but they provided for Paul and his team when they were there. Helped them for their journey. You know, they needed food. They weren't going to the supermarket and buying food. They needed to be supplied by somebody. In their rock-bottom poverty, they lavished generosity on Paul and his group. And they did so on those Christians that they'll never meet in Jerusalem. Matthew 6 being lived out. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, Titus brought a letter to the church in Corinth to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. He's talking to the church in Corinth now. He's reading this letter, well, to all of us. Paul's giving us the example of Macedonians, and now he's saying to the church in Schuylkillhaven, bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything in faith and speech and knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And this, I think, is connected to exactly what Jesus was saying in Matthew six. "Living an abundant life. I believe that will happen if you follow Jesus' teachings, in Matthew five through7, and obviously the rest of Scripture includes our willingness in our extreme poverty to lavish on others' generosity. And so thankfulness is not just, hey, God, thank you for providing for my needs. Thankfulness actually includes, thank you for providing for my needs, God, and I'm going to provide for my brother's needs over here, or my sister's needs over here, or this family that's struggling over here. In 2 Corinthians, at different places, not just what I read for you, Paul is talking about giving. He's talking about generosity, being thankful. And it's something that is, he didn't go down there to Macedonia and say, hey, you guys must give, or I'm going to call lightning from heaven upon you. They pleaded with him, let us give. I can see Paul saying, it's okay. I do this every time I go to a different country. And they sit me at their table and they just try and give me stuff. Every time I go to a church service, they buy me a gift, that hat, the vest, all the little stuff I wear when I come back here, that costs them something. They don't have much. And as much as I say, don't worry about it. You don't have to give it to me, especially now. I got like 25 scarves. I can't wear them all. It's voluntary. They just willingly want to do it. Just like when you walk in here, everything is voluntary. I don't, Some people say I force you by twisting your arm, but I don't try to. I just try to talk to you nicely and say, hey, would you be willing to do X, Y, or Z? We have this little tiny offering box out there in the uh, lobby as you come and go. And we don't have anybody standing there to make sure you drop something in it or to watch to see how much you drop in it. What Jesus is talking about is just something that flows out of us. It's natural. It's, It's voluntary. It's not forced. It's generous and not stingy. Again, the Macedonian churches are an example not just for that church in Corinth. They're an example for us too. Generosity, not stinginess, is how we are identified as Christians. We can stand to be generous. Why? Because the God who gives all the birds the food they need will provide for you and me too. The God who knows you and knows your needs will provide for them. And oftentimes, you know what happens? That provision God provides actually comes from God's people. So I used as the example when war broke out in Ukraine, we responded right away. We said, if you want to give to the Ukraine crisis fund, all of that is going to go to those people there who needed it right away. When there was an extremely bad earthquake in Nepal... We have a world emergency fund that we use as our denomination. So as immediately when it happens, we can respond right away. In Japan, when they had this terrible tsunami, we could respond right, right away. That only happens because of you guys. Those finances, those funds come out of your generosity And what is actually taking place is in Nepal, they're on their knees praying and asking God, God, you said, Jesus, you told us that you love us more than the birds and they're eating and we're not. How will you provide for us? And I have the blessing of sending a wire to Nepal and saying, hey, Jenga, I just wired $10,000 to you. Go buy bags of rice. Because in Nepal, people don't go to their government, they go to the church. And now they are extremely thankful that God provided for them because you lived like this. Because God has provided for us, our thankfulness isn't just saying, hey God, thank you, which we will do at Thanksgiving, which is good. But it actually translates into helping others generosity and not stinginess means you're giving thankfulness has to include doing something with the stuff that we have. There's some people that I talked to at Grace Church that I said, I might as well put a cot in this building and an office for you because you might as well be staff because they're just here all the time. Lots of stuff that happens that I could not do that God just uses that person to be generous with their life. And they give a lot. They're not stingy with their finances, their time, or what God gifted them, their abilities and skills and their talents. Thankfulness includes these things. And it's not pulling teeth to make it happen. The example, again, is the Macedonian church. They pleaded with us. Paul's probably saying, look, you have nothing. Why are you making this such a big deal? They pleaded with us. They were enthusiastic because they actually believed what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Man, it's amazing what happens when people actually live that out. And Paul was doing this to all the churches. And it was on a regular basis. He'd go back, he'd send another letter and say, I'm going back to Jerusalem. I need you to give. So when we think about thankfulness, I don't want us to simply think about, God, thank you for the stuff I have. Thank you for life this day. That is part of it. Certainly, it is part of it. When you sit around your Thanksgiving table with the family and friends, you're probably going to say stuff like that. But I think Jesus can broaden our view of thanksgiving, thankfulness. And if you're anxious about tomorrow if you're anxious about inflation, cost of living, price of oil, price of food, I want to challenge you to be like the Macedonians. I want to challenge us as Grace Church to be like the Macedonians. When you give here, you're already doing this. The only reason I can send $10,000 to Nepal when the earthquake happens or to Mexico when COVID hit and there was lockdown, and all these pastors were without a daily wage. They're used to living paycheck to paycheck, but now they can't even go to work. The only reason I can do that is because of you guys. Because we're willing to give. Out of our abundance, God enables us to give. And now that abundance, we're kind of rethinking as we think of inflation and cost of living. Should that be reason for us to be anxious about tomorrow and become stingy? Is it like pulling teeth? I begrudgingly do this. Oh, every now and then maybe I'll give something. I'm not doing it until Ted twists my arm about it. I think we're going to be challenged in that way as Christians in the United States. And I think we need to respond the way the Macedonian churches respond. I've already had a phone call about oil. I can't afford to put oil in our tank. Family, children. I said, okay, Grace Church can help. When you give at Grace Church, you enable us to do that kind of thing. Now, because of the culture we live in, we're very prideful. We don't want people to know that. I understand that, so I don't tell you all the people that you help. Somebody needs furniture. And we help them with furniture. Somebody needs help. You did this for church, left the building. They can't rake their leaves. It's so meaningless it seems like. There's a, a thousand things you could be doing with your time. And you're giving it back to God. Your thankfulness translates into not just me saying, God, thank you for the meal in front of me. Thankfulness translates to God... Who do I know that needs a meal and how can I get it to them? Like I said, we have, we do a lot with that little small offering box out there. It's pretty amazing, actually. I mean, obviously we have online giving as well. But that giving of your finances goes to do a lot of things here at Grace Church. It goes to help a lot of people. And as we think about Thanksgiving and being thankful, I want us to think about not only what we have, but what God is calling us to do for others. I do have needs that I need to help meet. I do have some folks that are looking for furniture. If you have something you're willing to get rid of, please come talk to me and I can find a good home for it. If you are wanting to help somebody this year, please come talk to me. I can. There's a church member that every year comes to me and says, here's my envelope. You give this to the person you know is in need. And that person does that every year. They don't want to be celebrated about it. They just want someone to have because they don't. That's what generosity looks like. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. And so there's somebody out there praying today. God, I don't know how I'm going to provide for my family this year, this week. And then I get to call them and say, hey, I heard you were in some trouble. You needed some gas money. Well, we're going to fill your tank of gas. We're going to fill your tank with oil. We're going to buy those groceries for you this week. That only happens in response to you, to God's people. And this year, when we think about Thanksgiving, And maybe we're struggling to think about abundance. With abundant living that Jesus is talking about, you don't need lots of money. You just need a heart that's willing to seek his kingdom and his righteousness first. And all these things will be added to you. God who provides for the birds, God who's the one that makes the trees as beautiful as they are, cares way more about you and me. And he will provide for you. If you're in that place, please know God will provide for you. And if you're in that place where you can help with that provision, maybe God's calling you to do that. Whether it's through your time, your talent, or your treasure. If we are followers of Jesus, if we are part of his kingdom... This is what it looks like. The Macedonian church is an example, not just for this church in Corinth. That Macedonian church is an example for us too. So when you're with your family and friends this coming week, thankful for all that God has done in your life, maybe you can be thinking about how God wants to use you in somebody else's life. And in that way, actually live that abundant life Jesus is talking about. Let's pray. God, we are thankful. I'm thankful today for all that you have done and all that you are doing. And God, I pray that as we think about what it means to be generous, God, as we think about what it means to be grateful and thankful for all that you've done, help us to see that that thanksgiving actually is more than just us, but it extends to our brothers and sisters. Certainly in, in the church, Lord God, we should be caring for each other that no one, as the acts of the apostles tell us, has any need. But God, you've also called us to care for those who are in need around us. And so God, as we gather around tables this coming week, Lord, I pray that our heart of thanksgiving might overflow God, even in the trials that we face, the challenges that we face, the uncertainty about the future, God, help us to live in a way that is generous. Help us to live in a way that reflects, resembles the church in Macedonia. Help us to live in a way that Jesus lived, Jesus himself, giving of his own life for us. God, help us to give to those around us as well.